Amen. Let's take our Bible this morning and turn to, back to Revelation chapter number 6. I love that little song. There's so much truth in that beautiful little song. Uh, maybe sometime I'll try and preach a few sermons about that. I, it does my heart good. Uh, doesn't matter what age you are, if you're a believer, uh, we are all His little children. Amen? And sometimes we have bigger heads than we should. Thank you more than you should. But the truth of the matter is we're just little children. And uh, we are weak and God is strong. Amen? And any strength that we have comes from Him alone. And I don't know if anybody told you this week or what your week has been like. I know many of you uh, have gone through some hardships and uh, your lives are, have a lot going on. But if nobody told you this week that they love you, then I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. Amen? I love you as well. Revelation chapter number 6. The onset here, I, uh, just uh, some of you say, oh my goodness, we're moving rather slowly through this book. Let me just kind of foretell the year where we're going and, uh, and that way. So I plan uh, my best to move us along in the book of Revelation and hopefully by um, May we will finish up the book of Revelation and then I want to take a few months, a uh, few, um, yeah, probably June, July and August in uh, the summertime to preach through the book of Leviticus. And now don't y'all all glaze over, okay? We, we will not do a verse-by-verse exposition of Leviticus uh, because I, I would like to maintain a crowd that we have here, all right? But uh, we will, uh, nonetheless, it is the Word of God. It is inspired and inerrant. And hopefully what we'll do over the summer is give us an overview. And I want to give you some, uh, some help so that you can put teeth to that book and understand why it is so vital. The book of Leviticus is absolutely vital uh, to the entire canon of Scripture. And in fact, you can't possibly understand everything there is to understand in the book of Hebrews unless you understand the book of Leviticus. And so, notice I said everything. You can study Hebrews without Leviticus, but they go hand in hand together. And then in the uh, fall, we'll uh, move and study, and then uh, we'll get to our uh, Advent season. And then I'm looking forward to uh, 2017. I've been uh, thinking and praying through, and I think what I'm going to do is rather than preach through a book in 2017, I'm going to pick 52 life-transforming chapters in the Bible. And we will just go through 52 of these uh, chapters in the Scripture in 2017 that the kind that you might want to memorize or you just say, man, I, I have to have that as a part of my arsenal. So you hang with me as the, as the Lord moves us over the next few years and, and uh, through the Word of God that He would bless it. Revelation chapter number 6, I'm going to bow for a word of prayer and would you do me a favor, would you pray silently that the Lord would give me grace and, and clarity uh, as I preach and that the Lord would open all of our hearts today that we would receive what He wants us to receive. Let's pray. Good Father, we now come to You and I pray over Your Word, Lord, that you, would, um, that you would make it known. I pray in my own heart, God, that You'd help me to be humble, that You'd help me to speak Your Word clearly, and that all of us today would grow, that we would understand Your Word a little bit better, and that we would be more conformed to the image of Jesus as a result of this Word. Father, we are not here just for all of the cool things in the passage or uh, prognostication concerning the future. We are here to be like Jesus. And so I pray for all of our hearts today that we would all be humble and that we would all be surrendered to what you want to do in us. And we will bless you and thank you for it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Let me bring us up to speed with where we were from last week. Of course, last week we began chapter number 6 and we talked about the four horsemen of the so-called apocalypse. We talked about how the white horseman that is uh, Christ and when Christ came, He, rose, he uh, died on the cross for, from, for us and then rose from the grave and ever since then, the white horse of Christ, the gospel of Jesus has been marching on into history, bringing salvation wherever He goes into whatever continent He sees fit. And then following that, wherever Jesus and the gospel goes, certainly there is persecution of the believers is coming. There is going to be economic injustice for believers. And then we said that eventually as time comes to an end, there will be this upheaval and this war and all of the world will be in this great bit of chaos. Now, if we move on, that is, uh, that is the first four seals. And if we were to move to chapter number uh, 7 and 8, chapter number 1, we would find that we have the last seal, and we'll deal with that next week. But uh, chapter or, uh, seal number 5 and 6, they go together. That's verse 9 through verse number 17. And so what I want to do is the same way that I have been doing in the past several weeks. I'm going to read and teach down through these verses, and then I'm going to try and give us a few points of application so that we can take God's Word into our everyday life and live for Him this week. So you put your nose in the Bible and look back at verse number 9. It says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, he, uh, the Apostle John says here, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain. And why were they slain? Because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, Will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed. And back in verse number 9, notice first of all it says here, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. And so the phrase here, I saw under the altar, remember now, this is not in heaven, it is on earth, but the vision here is being seen from heaven. You remember chapter 4 and 5, John is lifted up into heaven, he is given the vision of God, and now he's looking at these souls that have died. And this altar here, under the altar, is a direct reference to Leviticus chapter number 4. It is the sacrificial altar where all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were brought to make atonement for the sins of the people. And so they would bring those sacrifices, they would destroy those sacrifices, and the blood would run down on the altar. And look at here, these who were slain, these martyrs for the faith, those in our lifetime that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they have been killed for their faith, in Christ, where does the Bible say that they are? They are under the altar of God. Under the very blood of Jesus. Under the very protection of God. They are under the altar. You see there the word soul. It is the same word for the word life. In fact, that is the same reference. Uh, Leviticus 4.17 says, The life of the flesh is in the blood. And the word there is suke, it is soul, it is the, the, the soul of the flesh is in the blood. And so what he's saying is the very precious lives of those who give themselves for the Lord Jesus Christ and are slain, that they are under the very altar of the sacrifice of Jesus in the protection of God. And then look back at verse number 9 if you would. It says that they were slain, and then notice it says, because of the word of God, 
and because of the testimony which they have maintained. Let me stop and pause for just a moment and give some premature application to say that these people who were giving their lives and are around the world even today giving their lives for the Lord, they are doing so because of the Word of the living God. God's Word is worth dying for. The truth of God's Word is worth giving our lives up for. And if it is worth dying for by the martyrs, it is worth living for in this day and time. We are to give our lives over to the Word. Somebody asked me one time, why are you so intense when you preach? Why does it mean so much to you? Because it is over life and death. This Word tells us about Jesus, and then Jesus has the words of eternal life. He is glorious and majestic and wonderful and we would die for the word of the living God and the testimony that they maintained. I want to say to all of us as a church today, Emmanuel Baptist Church, please hear me today. To the glory of the living God, hear me. There are lost people in our community. There are lost people in the state of North Carolina and all around the world. And when they see Christians that hold their Bible up and say, this is God's Word, and then they see them live lives that don't maintain the testimony of God's Word, they don't want to have anything to do with us. For heaven's sakes... If you cannot live by the Word of God, then give it up. But don't tell people that you believe the Word and you follow Jesus, but you're not living for the Lord. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you get it right all the time. Heaven knows I've made more mistakes in my lifetime than I'll ever care to remember. But God calls His people to live the kind of life that would be willing to die for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ and the testimony that they maintained. I want to encourage you just quickly from that verse of Scripture to live this week as faithful and dedicated to Jesus as you can possibly be. Are you going to fall short? Man, if you're anything like this feet made of clay, man, you're going to fall short. You're going to say things and do things and be things that you wish you never had. But I'm telling you, you should get up every day of your life. Give glory to God. Confess your sins. Seek for the help of the Holy Spirit. And give all of your passion and your life to live for Jesus Christ. I just want to ask you, did you do that this week? I know, right? Nobody wants to be the preacher when you got to do this kind of message. I'm just asking you to confront your heart with that. This past week, can you say right now, you know what? Yeah, I messed up, didn't get it right every time, but I'm trying as hard as I can to follow the Spirit and to live for Jesus. And maybe just right now as a family, maybe there's people in this room and you need a bit of revival. Maybe you need a little bit of, you need a little bit of courage and you need to kind of shake off some of that sin and get back to the place where you once were, where your heart was tender, where you loved Jesus and you were following Him gung-ho with everything you have. Are there areas of your life right now that you're holding on to sin? You're holding on to wickedness. You've got it trapped in a little box and you've said to God, you can have everything else, but you can't have that. Right there is where you need to start. We want to be the kind of people like these folks 
who are willing to give their life not only for the Word of God. We believe this is inerrant and inspired and infallible. We believe that when we read this book, it is God speaking. But we must be the kind of people that maintain a testimony that would testify to that. Let's be those kind of people. Look back at verse number 10. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true. And the word Lord there in verse number 10, how long, some of you might have a translation that says, how long, O sovereign. It is, it is the word here for the Lord that means He is sovereignly and powerfully in control of all things. How long, O Lord, holy. That is so distinct and so separate and so transcendent and so holy other and true. And when you read the word here in Revelation, it is a Jewish sense of the word true. It means faithful to your promises. Not just that it matches reality, but that He is the kind of God that never lets us down. He is the kind of God that always keeps His word. How long, O Lord, sovereign, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Let me pause for a moment and uh, just discuss verse 10. Some people will say, well, is there a contradiction here? Because the Bible says that when Jesus was on the cross, He said to His enemies, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we are to pray and maybe some of you had a Sunday school lesson today. We're to pray for those that despitefully use us. We're to pray for those and love those of our enemies and say, what is going on here? Should we do one or should we do the other? Well, I would say that we always want to pray for those that despitefully use us. We always want to pray for our enemies. But in this context, it is not, hear me, it is not a personal vindictiveness. It is a call for the holy justice of God to be made known. These people aren't crying out so much for their own behalf as they are saying, God, you are holy and true and righteous and you have said that those that put their faith and trust in you shall triumph the day in Jesus. Now make that happen. It is a call for the justice of God. But let me go back and discuss this with you. Put your thinking cap on for me for a minute. I want you to see something about the character of God from verse number 10 that I think is important. These are people that have died for their faith. Their lives have been cut short. They were martyred before their time came. They didn't get to live a full life. Many of them had economic injustice and social injustice and racial injustice. They were put down and put out and marginalized and they gave their life for God and yet they were living for Him. They were giving everything they had and all they got in repayment was death. And their first cry when they get to heaven, their first cry is, O Sovereign Lord, You are holy, You are true, You are awesome, You are wonderful. And this is what I want to say. How marvelous is our God that He is the kind of one that when we die, that our lives are left short, when everything falls apart, that He can bring so much joy and so much goodness and so much grace that our first cry in heaven over all the injustices of our life is you are holy, you are true, and you are the sovereign God of the universe. I want to tell you today, folks, the God that we serve, the God of the Bible is so loving and so wonderful and so good to us that even if we die out of injustice, the cry of our heart should be, you alone are worthy. 
these people died for their faith. And the first thing they say when they get there is, oh God, you are wonderful. I ask you, you're living with that same God now. How wonderful is he to you? How majestic and marvelous is he to you? How glorious is He to you? How good has He been in your life? And if you're sitting here in these pews this morning, and I'm fighting, I'm giving everything that I've got to you, but I pray that the Spirit of God would move in your soul. And if you're dusty and cold, or you have sin that's clogging up the tubes, and there was a time in your life where good tears would run down your face, and you knew that Jesus loved you and gave His life for you, and you were thankful for all that God had done. If you're not at that place, I beg and plead and pray with you to get your heart right with God today, and lift your hands to heaven and say, you alone are worthy. No matter what happens in my life, you are worthy. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that loves you. That's the God that gave His Son to die so that you could have everlasting life. Look back down at verse number 11. And look at what God does in His tender mercy and love and care of these people. And there was given to each of them a white robe. The white robe here signifies the heavenly blessings of God and it signifies the resurrection of the dead. It is, it is this understanding here of the righteousness of God born out through the resurrection. And so He is promising these martyrs that there will be a resurrection. That the resurrection that Jesus gave from the grave was the first fruits of all the resurrections to come for His people. He gave them the white robe and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer. Some of yours might say that they should have patience. But it is a patient rest. These people are urging Jesus to bring judgment upon those who have taken their lives. And yet Jesus says, my brothers, my sisters, I know you can't see the end from the beginning. I know you feel like justice and judgment needs to come now. But just rest here for a little while. What did Jesus say to the disciples and to all of us? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then look what it says. Until the number of the fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed. Oh, my friends, please understand the Word of God. Sometimes the promise of God is a promise to wait. But there is an end. You see that? You see that in your text? Wait. There is going to be more martyrs that die and give their lives. But wait. But the time will be completed. It will be fulfilled. God gives them the promise of the resurrection. 
God gives them the promise of resting in Him. And God gives the promise that there will come a day when all of the world's history will come to an end and Jesus will come back and all those that have died in Him He'll bring back with Him and all those that remain will be resurrected into eternal life and we shall rule and reign with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. That is the promise for the martyrs, those who give their lives for Jesus. Verse number 12 through verse number 17 speaks of the end of the world when Jesus comes back and all is made right and the judgment. You see, they're calling out for the vengeance. They're calling out for the judgment of God. And now here comes the answer in verse number 12 to 17. Follow along with me. He says, I looked and when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth and made of hair and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell on the earth as a fig tree casts its uh, unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart as a scroll when it is rolled up into a piece of paper. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Let me pause there for a moment and just give you a few things from these verses. First of all, I want you to understand that there's a study in contrast from verse 9 and through verse 11 through verse 12 through verse 17. You notice that when uh, the first seen in the fifth seal appears that the people are safe under the altar of God. And how does verse number 12 start? With the earthquake that shakes the world. We have these people who are in the white robes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does this say? That the stars and the moon will go out as black as sackcloth and ash. What do we find these people doing? They are calling out to God of heaven. What are these people doing in verse 12 through 17? They don't call to God. They call to the mountains to fall upon them. It is a study in the contrast of those who believe and follow Jesus and those who deny Christ and when the end comes it will be nothing but destruction and pain and agony for all those that deny Jesus Christ. For those of you that are uh, kind of my Bible code kind of people, you like the neat little things, I'll just tell you this. You'll notice that in verse 12 through 17, you'll find that there are six events that are spoken of. So let's look at verse number 12, the earthquake and the sun and uh, the stars and the sky and so on. So there you'll see there's six of those there. And then in verse 15, uh, down through verse 16, or 16, you'll find that there are six groups of people. Notice you can find them at another time. The kings of the earth, the great men, the commanders, the rich among you, the strong and slave and free men. And so this is the sixth seal with six signs and six groups of people. Ooh, spooky, spooky. Six, six, six. Did y'all ever hear those crazy people talk about like the mark of the beast as a barcode and every time you go to Kroger's and they scan something? Or, you know, did you ever hear somebody say they're going to put something in your forehead or your wrist? That's, oh man, that's a bunch of craziness, but we'll get to that later. Truth of the matter is, is all it is saying is the word six is generally the sign of man. And what's saying here is that God is going to bring destruction upon all of mankind that do not trust Jesus Christ. And uh, let me just also, for a little interpretation here for you, uh, be careful that you don't read some of Revelation 
uh, symbolically and other parts as literal. So, for instance, the chapter we're in, chapter 6, is completely, has a good literal sense to it, but it is in symbolic language, right? Four horsemen, pale horse, red horse, black horse, white horse, right? You see this symbolic language. So don't, don't all of a sudden, when you get to verse 12 to 17, move that out of something, okay? Like if a third of the stars fell and hit the planet, there wouldn't be any more planet, right? Revelation would just stop here. I believe what's going on in this passage is what it is saying is all of the institutions and governments and power structures in all the world that human beings have been setting up for time and ages will be done away with when Jesus comes back. He will destroy all of those who are against Him and He alone will set up His rule and reign alone. And we will be with Him. Let me, uh, let me just finish this. Uh, uh, verse 15 and 16, I better read it. Well, verse 17, no, 16, let's go there. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. And brothers and sisters and all people here where the lost are saved, read the next part in your Bible, from the wrath of the Lamb. There are a lot of creatures in the world that we would expect wrath from, like cobras, Brahma bulls, lions, tigers, spiders. I hate spiders, don't you? I used to work for Orkin. I'll tell you, I, I hate rodents too, rats. I would do any call, but I hated going up in an attic and looking for rats. Oh, my goodness, I didn't like it. I would have been okay if it said the wrath of the rat, but it doesn't. It says the wrath of the lamb. You know why? It's meant to give you a visual of the irony here and of the, the paradox. When we think of the lamb, we think of the docile lamb. We think of the lamb of God. What did John the Baptist say? Behold, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He died for us on the cross as a humble, slain lamb. But that same lamb of God that died for our sins shall bring wrath. Verse 17. For the great day of their wrath, their wrath, notice there the plurality speaking of the Trinity, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Let me give you three points today in, uh, of just application, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Here's the first one if you're keeping notes. Number one, God is both loving and wrathful. You know, I've struggled all week long in my own heart, just wrestling with this passage. This is not the kind that I want, it's not the kind of point that I want to make, but I cannot make any points that are not derivative, derivative straight from the text. And that is what this text says. Verse 9 through 11 tells us that He is loving, that He is caring, that He is merciful, that He's wonderful to all those that call on Him. To His people, God is good. Amen? And verse 12 through verse number 17 say that if you are not a believer in Jesus, if you have not made Him the King of your heart, if you refuse Him and live the rest of your life without Him, all that is left is wrath and judgment. Reminds me of Lucy in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where she finds out that God is good, but He's dangerous. We serve a good God, but we serve a dangerous God. God, for those of you in here today that don't know Jesus, I, I want you to understand that the threats of the Bible are not empty. I heard this story this last week about this uh, thief out in Washington State that uh, he'd wait for people to go on, it sounded like home alone, he'd wait for people to go on vacation and, uh, and then he'd rob their place at night and he uh, scouted out this one place 
people left. He goes into the middle of the night, breaks in, it's dark, and he hears a voice that says, I see you and Jesus sees you. He's scared to death. He takes his little flashlight, he shines around the dark, and he sees a parakeet. The parakeet says, I see you and Jesus sees you. And the robber starts laughing, and so he turns on the house to rob the house, and he looks over and sees a Doberman pincer underneath the parakeet. And the parakeet says, get him, Jesus. I want you to understand that the threats of the Bible are not empty. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. I, I'm pleading and begging with you. If you're in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, look, I know it's been bad weather. I know most of you in here are a part of this church, but I'm just saying whether you're a member or a visitor, this is the first time you've ever been here or the last time, or if you're a member, I'm just telling you, if you don't have an ongoing interactive relationship with Jesus whereby you have turned from your sin and yourself and you said, Jesus, be the lover of my soul, be the redeemer of my heart. I want to serve you all the day. Save me. Save me, Jesus. If you've never had that interaction with Him, I plead with you to come to Him because the threats of the Bible are not empty. And if you die in your condition, you will meet this kind of hell long before it ever comes. And God is loving. And He loves His people. Let me make a second point. I'll just move quickly. God is both patient and present. God is both patient and present. You see how patient He is with these martyrs? In verse 9 through 11. You know, as I read through there, the longer and longer I read through that, I thought, you know, He's patient with the world. Look, look what He says. Listen, keep giving the gospel. Do you know the lost and dying world out there, every day that Jesus doesn't come back, it is a loving patience that God is having with unbelievers. And can I say to, to our church, let me take us a time out. Hey, as a church, go give the gospel. Go invite somebody to church. Hey, this week, give everything that you have to bring somebody that they might hear the word of God. I don't have time to take you there, but in 2 Peter, the Bible would seem to say that we can push back the day of the coming by the way that we live holy lives and the way that we give the gospel to the unbelieving world. This truth is coming, and God is patient. You want to know how, God, how much God is patient? Not just that He promises these guys, hey, there's many more people that are going to give their lives, but He's so patient that He gave His Son's life. Amen? God's good. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie, the, the Great Santini. You ever get a chance to watch that movie? It's worth thinking about. Oh, Bull. Uh, Bull Meacham is the main character. He's a old hard-nosed military man, and uh, he can't keep, keep the military at work. He brings it home. and Abusive toward his wife, at least verbally and sometimes physically, and a drunk. And his oldest son, Ben, loves him. Uh, their relationship grows distant over time. And one night, old Bull comes home, and Ben's pulling him off of his mom, and Staggering drunk, Bull walks off into the park into the middle of the cold night. Bull's wife says to his oldest son, uh, Ben says, you got to go get your father. And he says, I hope he dies. She says, you don't mean that. 
you got to go get him. Ben goes to the park and his dad slumped over some park bench, drunk. And Ben goes and puts his arms around him and says, it's time to go home, Dad. Bull pushes him away. And Ben says, I love you, Dad. Father pushes his son, starts meandering through the park, and again and again and again and again, Ben keeps coming to his father. I love you, Dad. I love you, Dad. I love you, Dad. Until he gives in. Brothers and sisters, I say here along with you that in every one of our minds there's a caveat there and I counsel this way and there, you know, there's a thousand and one things to be said about that. Now we're putting our way in harm's danger and in way of harm and all of the stuff. But I say in the middle of all of that that there's a picture of the way that God loves us and you might say that's scandalous and it's wrong. It may be wrong for us, but it's not. It's the way that God does it. While we push Him away, while we beat Him, while we move the opposite direction, while we hated Him, the Bible says while we were sinners, while we were ungodly, we were the enemy of God, the Bible says. And Jesus says, I love you. And I love you, and I love you. That's how patient and how loving God is. Let's be that way with a lost world. Heaven's sakes, let's be that way with each other. Amen? God is patient, but God is present. You see that down there in the end of verse number 16 and 17 where it says that He is present there with them in destruction. Uh, just give me a couple minutes here. Let me, you know, back in the 19th century, there were there were a whole bunch of, um, uh, oh, I almost said village idiots, but village atheists, <laughs> and uh, they 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 um, this kind of died out. But like Bob Ingersoll and all those, they would they would do this trick. They would try and travel the country and bait churches where they would uh, they would take their watch and they'd put it on some lectern and they'd say, in five minutes, if God really exists. He will strike me down dead. And of course, he'd wait five minutes, and of course, nobody that ever did that got struck down. Well, even atheists have kind of given up on that ridiculous episode. You see, to do that is a fundamental misunderstanding of the character of the one that you're making that request of. You see, for instance, doing that is the same thing as if an ant walking across the corner of your living room this afternoon said, if there are any humans in here, in five minutes, they will quit reading their book and throw it down on top of me. Right? As if you, the only thing in the world that you have to do is to throw your book down on an ant. As if the only thing God has to do in the world is to somehow come down and strike you down dead. And even if, perchance, you wanted to relate to an ant that was crawling across the floor in your living room, you certainly wouldn't throw down a book on top of it. You'd come down to its level. And God has done the same thing for us in the person of Jesus. I want all of you to be careful. Just because this judgment that we're speaking about is future does not mean that it will not come. And you can either experience the presence of Christ now through the salvation of your soul, 
or you can experience the presence of God in judgment when He comes in the future. Let me give you one more point we'll, we'll finish for today. God is loving and He is wrathful. God is patient and God is present. Here's the last one. Only those who call on God now will be able to stand then. Look at the end of verse number 17. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Well, let me answer that for you. Look at chapter 7 and verse number 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues. What's your Bible say? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. The only people who will able, ever be able to stand before the Lord are those who bow before Him now and call upon Him for salvation. And I just want to encourage us from the text to humble ourselves and bow before Him now. Receive Him as Lord and Savior now. And He will make you able to stand in that day. But, like these people in verse 12 to 17, that did not call on God, but called upon the mountains to fall on them. They called on everything but God. You will never be able to stand in that day. Two personal applications and we'll pray. If you're here and you're lost, you don't know Jesus, maybe you're even searching, you're, you're not ready for it, but you're, you're searching, I want to encourage you today, come see me after the service uh, and we'll talk, we can discuss, we can talk about Jesus. But I'm telling you right now, in your heart, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and you feel in your heart God is calling you, believe on Jesus. He loves you. He's merciful. He's gracious. He died on the cross. He'll save you from your sins. He'll be the Lord of your life. Call on Jesus today. Make Him the Lord of your life. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. If you want to escape judgment and have eternal mercy, you must come through Jesus. Can I say to all my believers here today, how will you live this next week in light of this passage? God told these martyrs, I want you to be patient because there's still people to be saved. And we know that because He said there's still more martyrs to happen for the Word of God. They were willing to die for God. Are you willing to live for Him? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? In just a minute, we'll stand and sing our hymn of response together. If you're here today, look, these altars are open. When we stand and sing together, uh, sometimes people will come down to these uh, stairs down front and just take a moment to pray silently. And I, I want to invite you, you to do that. If you know the Lord, maybe there's something. You say, why can't I, can I do that in my seat? Certainly you can. Sometimes there's a bit of a, symbol, a symbolic nature of just coming forward. I don't know, not, nobody cares. Everybody else in this room is a sinner too. Maybe you need to come down and say, Lord, there's some areas in my life 
that I've not been tender and gracious and kind. There's some areas of my life where I've not been sharing the gospel. There's some areas of my life that I need to give over to you. And maybe there's somebody here today that would want to come and talk with somebody and say, I, I don't know Jesus, but I want to avoid that kind of judgment. These altars are open. Would you stand with us and sing?